Good morning. We're in Proverbs again, and Proverbs chapter 2 is where we begin. Grace Community Church is all about discipleship and spiritual formation. Um, one of my guys this week I work with um, cracked open the book of Proverbs. I've been encouraging you all to read a chapter a day, right? And today's the 22nd day of July. Could be a day to read chapter 22. Well, my young friend opened up to the 20th chapter of Proverbs on the 20th day of this month, and the Word of God began to speak to him, just like it will speak to you where you are, what you're dealing with. See, friendship is something that happens in the context of discipleship. We can be from two different generations <clears throat> uh, and still be friends with one another, you know, bearing each other's burdens, encouraging each other, sharpening each other. My generation needs the enthusiasm and the fire of the next generation. The younger generation needs the wisdom of my generation. And today our students will return from momentum. Um, most likely to your parents, they're going to need a nap. Um, and as important as the sessions have been to them, the teaching and worship, friendships are there made and renewed. Uh, there's certainly um, <clears throat> important sessions going on, but the people that you do life with, you know, live in the dorms with, that eat with, those become very influential in your life. So we consider friendships to be very, very important. Last week we looked at friendship in the scriptures. You'll see some uh, references there. But I was thinking about all of humanity, <clears throat> every person in this room, every person on this planet, that everybody needs to have a friend a friend with whom to be their companion. But not just a friend, we need loyalty in that friend. That's why Proverbs 18.24 says that a man may have many companions. You may have many running buddies, right? Many peeps in your life. You may have many, many companions that you run with, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. David had such a friend, his name was Jonathan. Paul had such a friend, his name was Timothy. These were close people of kindred spirit. We long to find real love. That's why Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. The uh, north winds will blow into your life, and the adverse conditions will come. And the companions will leave one by one, but the true friend will stick closer than a brother and love at all times, even in times of ad adversity. We long to be valued. We long to be feel understood. We long for someone to share our life with us, for someone to be there in the hardest of times. We long to have someone we can confide in and someone who can confide in us. We want to find someone who needs us. And this is the true thing about friendship. A friend knows what there is to know of you, but they love you. They love you, though they know you pretty entirely. See, we really do long for friendships, for loyal, reliable friends. But at the same time, we want our friends to shoot straight with us, to be transparent. That's why Proverbs 27, verse 5 says, Open rebuke is better than hidden love, and faithful are the wounds of a friend. If a friend says something to you that hurts you, most often they haven't said it to harm you, they've said it to 
help you. Ask if they truly are your friend because they're saying a word you need to hear. And then finally, iron sharpens iron. And so one friend sharpens another. We need to be sharpening each other, right? Because our tendency is to grow dull and we need someone who's going to challenge us. Well, that being said, we want to turn this morning to the topics of marriage and children. And now we're to our notes. And I want to begin by saying that the book of Proverbs has much to say about marriage. One of the uh, famous passages dealing with marriage is found in chapter 2. I'd like to just begin by talking about the passion of this father. Talk about a father who's chasing you down, who's trying to get your attention. Listen to the plea of the father, chapter 2, Proverbs. My son, if you accept my words and store up these commands within you, right? if you put these commands in your heart, if you turn your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight, you see, you've got to search after wisdom. Wisdom will come to you, but you have to be looking for it. He says, if you look for it as for silver and search for it like hidden treasure, you will understand the fear of the Lord, which is the theme of Proverbs, to respect God and his wisdom, God and his authority. He says, for the Lord gives wisdom. You see, God wants to impart to you wisdom. He wants you to be able to navigate your life journey with wisdom, to not make foolish mistakes, you see, to not let your life be governed by foolishness. He wants you to become very wise. The Lord imparts wisdom, verse um, 7. For he holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the ways of his faithful ones. God wants to be a shield around you. He wants to protect you, right? Protect you from what? Look at verse number verse number uh, 16. It says, And he will also save you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. You see, her strategy is to employ words to get you off path. So what is true of her? It says in verse 17, she has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. The language here is that marriage is a covenant. And what's true of this woman is she has left the partner of her youth. Now, the partner could be translated her very close, intimate friend, the friend of her childhood. She has forsaken the close friend of her youth and done something else. She has ignored the covenant she made before God. You see, marriage is a covenant made between two people and God and a man and a woman. You see, God, Jesus is the head of the church, and he laid down his life for the church, and the church responds to his love with submission. In marriage, the man is the head of the house, 
And the man lays down his life for his bride with sacrificial service. And the wife submits to her husband, responds to him with love. Now in our culture, we don't hear much about covenant, do we? Instead, we see two selfish people coming with a list of demands and expectations. If these demands are being met, we're kind of holding each other hostage, these demands are being met, we'll stay married, but the demands aren't being met, we'll get divorced. That is not covenant. The language of covenant, God speaks to us by saying, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. To never leave someone is to say that I will be physically present. To never forsake someone is to say I will be emotionally present to you. You see, God is covenantal, and God has made covenant with us, and God wants us to keep covenant with one another. When Debbie and I began seriously dating, I asked her her views on divorce. And she said, I want to get married to you. (laughs) And I want to be married to one person for all of my life. And I want to have children with you. And I don't believe in divorce. You see, therein lies covenant. If you have been forsaken, if you have been abandoned, that is a rupture to the covenant, you see, which leads in divorce. And there is healing and redemption from divorce. There is There is a pathway that God has for you of healing if you've passed that way before. We would have to say, wouldn't we have to say, that attitudes about marriage are shifting in America. It used to be that we viewed marriage to be a lifelong commitment between a man and woman providing a secure environment for children to be raised. Sort of in the good times and the bad, in the sickness and in health, and adversity and prosperity, keeping ourselves faithful to one another. What is the new attitude? Let's just try this out to see whether it works. You know, you wouldn't buy clothes without trying them on. You wouldn't buy a pair of shoes without being fitted for the shoes. You wouldn't buy a car unless you drive the car first. So let's give this thing a test drive. Let's go into the changing room and just see if this works out. Because if it doesn't work out, we can just leave each other friends. It's estimated that in America today, one half of women between 25 to 45 will live with their partner outside of marriage. More men and women are avoiding marriage and saying, let's just live together. The Bible frowns on cohabitation because of a number of reasons. One of them is that it lacks vows. Sometimes it works and cohabitation moves into marriage, but sometimes it doesn't. You must understand that living together gives sexual access to the man, but it gives absolutely no security to the woman. Let me say that one more time. Cohabitation seems like it is in the favor of the guy because it gives sexual access to him, but it gives no security to the woman in case things don't work it out, right? Now, I want to just apologize to you guys for not talking to you about this sooner. Maybe an earlier episode in your life. 
And this is a no-judgment zone, all right? We're not here to sort of speak down to you or to make you feel bad. But I want to bring to you a biblical orientation about friendship and about marriage and about children, okay? You have to understand that I am for you, and I want to see what's best for you, and God loves you, and so God has said these things, all right? So the first thing I want you to get is that marriage, according to God, is a covenant. It's a covenant between a man and a woman for a lifetime to be faithful to each other. Point number two, finding a wife is good. All right. Yay. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22 says these words. He who finds a wife finds what is good. Look at your wife and say, now that's some good. (laughs) And receives favor from the Lord. It is not good for a man to be alone. So God made for us a helper. You see, if you get me, you get half. But if you get Debbie and me, you get all of us. You get the whole thing. Debbie and I were just married. And um, I was studying in school on the second coming. And so Debbie went out one night, and I was there studying at the house, and she came back with a large bag, a shopping bag. I said, darling, what's in your bag? She said, I've got 16 bottles of shampoo. And I said to her, I said, what will we say to Jesus when he comes back with 16 bottles of shampoo? Great answer. She said, we'll say, Lord, I tried to be a good steward. And when we used up the 16th bottle, she bought them for 50 cents a bottle. When we used up the 16th bottle, I said, Debbie, you taught me about stewardship. And I, re- I, I actually cited this verse, that he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. You see, Debbie sees what's good in people. She also discerns some of the bad. And she gives good counsel because she has a really good heart. Finding a wife is good, you see. Don't you agree that finding a wife is good? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. That's one you maybe should circle. A wife of noble character, an excellent wife, a wife of virtue. This wife is her husband's crown. You see, this is speaking of a wife with excellence. And the word there of noble character could be translated courage or valiant. It's used of warriors. You married a warrior woman. Now, one of the things I admire about people is the courage, especially the courage of a woman. You know, the courage of my daughter, Betsy, having lost a son, having another son, I just admire her courage. It was a courageous thing to do to step back and have another child. You see, a wife of noble character has her husband's heart and her husband's trust. The husband has entrusted his heart to her. He has full confidence in her fidelity and faithfulness. This wife is industrious. You know, one of the things we know about couples is that they become an economic unit, right? Both of them contribute to the well-being of the household. And researchers have found that married people do better than single people financially. Did you know that? They cooperate to accrue wealth for the family. 
And this is realized by the hard work of both parties. See, though the income differential may be there, they're both making contribution to the well-being of the family. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. This wife of noble character is a visible public treasure to him. His, her husband is honored to be with her. She is a great blessing from God and the source of great joy and a treasure. You know, a king wears a crown to show forth he is the king. And an athlete can be crowned with a wreath to show forth their achievement. But the crown given to a husband is a wife of noble character. But then the scripture says, a disgraceful wife, a shameful wife, is like decay to his bones. A bad wife will destroy a man. She is like rottenness to his bones. She causes him anguish and pain. She criticizes him. She nags at him. She disdains him and disrespects him. You see, the bones are the support of our anatomy. And if the bones aren't doing great, we're not doing great. So the, the shameful wife is rottenness to his bones. This is further elaborated in Proverbs 21.9, which says, Better to live in the corner of a roof than to share the house with a quarrelsome wife. Why? She's always fighting. She's always quarreling. She's always disagreeing. Whatever he proposes will be met with resistance. There's a war going on in this household. You see, if a wife is at war with her husband, there's no way that he can win. If he wins, he loses. If he loses, he loses. So it goes like this. There's plan A. Let's do this. Let's live here. Let's do this. Let's go on vacation here. And plan B is the wife who meets everything he says with resistance. She has another plan. It's called plan B. So plan C is, let's live on the corner of the roof. Do you understand what's going on here? This household is engaged in warfare. So rather than be in this war, the husband escapes to the corner of the roof. I have, over the years, had many conversations with quarrelsome wives. And they are so quarrelsome, they quarrel with me about being not quarrelsome. They say, well, I'm opinionated. Do you ever wonder why men do what they do? You ever wonder why a man hunts? Now, I know there must be peace, you know, early in the morning and fellowship with the hunters and maybe a prey to bring home. You ever wonder why a man works extra hours not coming home? You ever wonder why a guy rides a Harley? I know there's great freedom on the road. You ever wonder why a guy golfs through the weekend? You ever wonder why a guy lives in the basement? I lived with a family once for a couple weeks, and this guy just lived in the basement. He didn't come out of the basement. And it's exactly what this verse is speaking to. It's possible, I'm not saying it's true, but it's possible you're living there with a contentious wife. 
She's always talking. She's always fussing. She's always um, debating. She's always suggesting. She's always reminding you of something. She's always nagging you about something. That's Proverbs 21.9. Now look at Proverbs 21.19. It says, Better to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome, ill-tempered wife. So it's moved up a notch, right? It went from simply being on the roof to now he's gone to the wilderness, the desert. That's where there's no comforts of home. There's no bed there. There's no food there. He's saying it's better to live way away from her than to live anywhere near her. So I thought since, since I wanted to, I thought we'd do a little tune-up on marriage. You guys up for this? About how do we respond to each other when there's like this argumentative household, when there's a little fight going on in our families. One way we can respond is when your wife does something you don't like to say words like this. Honey, can I talk with you a moment? Can I just be honest with you? When you said what you said, when you did what you did, it really hurt my feelings. That would be awesome, right? I love you, but it bothered me, you know, what went down there when you did what you did or said what you said. Sort of, so I want to encourage there to be honesty in your relationship. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been honest to each other. Because what happens is there's anger, right? And then underneath of anger is there's hurt. And underneath hurt, there's injustice. And when a guy does not feel respected and he feels hurt, sometimes what he wants to do is just run away. The second way we do it is we begin to hide our true feelings. This is where the passive-aggressive thing takes over. You hurt me, but I'm going to let my feelings go underground. So here's what happens in this relationship. I'm going to eat potato chips in bed. I'm going to turn, I'm going to, I'm going to turn that TV up, and I know you don't like it being up. I'm going to put the light on even when you don't like the light being on. I'm going to do stuff you don't want me to do because you don't want me to do it. And I don't, I'm going to do stuff you want me to do that I don't want to do. So in other words, what happens is rather than facing their issue, the issues go underground and all kinds of behaviors begin to pop up. The third possibility is the spouse hurts your feelings and then what happens is you begin to turn your heart away. Now mark this down, that all bad things happen when you turn your heart away from your spouse. You see, you're no longer looking to that person to meet your needs. Now your heart is turned away in another direction. Maybe it's turned toward another hobby or toward another person. And you become yourself vulnerable because the spouse with whom you're living is not meeting your needs. Number four is that of revenge. You've been hurt, and now you're going to make them pay for what has been done to you. We say here, I'm going to make you, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to make you suffer. You made me suffer, now I'm going to make you pay a high price. And many relationships are in that phase of they're angry at each other, and there's revenge, 
and making each other suffer, and they're both miserable. You ever looked at a couple, let's say they're about my age, and they're in a restaurant, and they're not talking to each other? They're just kind of looking out the window or looking past each other, or perhaps now they're looking at their cell phone. You ever wondered what's going on in that family where they're not talking to each other about the hurts they have been through or the losses they've experienced or the differences they've, they've had or the lack of conversations? And so they come to a restaurant and now they don't engage each other, right? Because there's such distance, so much walls between them. But I've got another solution for you, okay? Aren't you glad? I've got a solution. Number five, let's call this one redeem your spouse. You see, there was a time in my life when I was doing the wrong thing, and I was hurting Jesus. And his response was to suffer for me and lay down his life for me. You see, he loved me enough to redeem me. There is nobody that I love like Jesus, because Jesus loves me. He was my friend when I didn't have a friend. He loved me when I didn't deserve to be loved. And when you begin to redeem your spouse, it's going to cost you something. So you ask the question, why should I be redemptive? Well, it's Christ-like because you owed a debt to God and God paid off that debt. So I'll do it for you because Jesus did it for me. It's the only response that creates a solution. Threats don't create a solution. Revenge does not create a solution. It's the only behavior that stops the cycle of pain and rejection. Listen to me. If you fight fire with fire, guess what you get? A bigger fire. Let's try that again. So let's say right now that you're in this argumentative relationship, okay? And you decide what you're going to do is you're going to fight fire with fire. What's going to happen is you're just going to get a bigger fire. The only way that you can fight against a spirit is with the contrary kind of spirit. So if a person feels rejection, the only way you can fight against that is with acceptance. If a person's being insensitive, the only way you can fight against that is by being sensitive to them. And Debbie, so many times in our relationship, has been redemptive to me. I have been a complete jerk. I have said things that I should not have said. I have done things that I have regretted. And she has laid it down for me and show me what real love is and forgiven me from the heart and pointed out to me what my error was enough to help me to see. You see, God really wants to redeem and restore relationships. He wants you to be redemptive. He wants you to forgive from the heart. He wants you to love that person you're in relationship with. So Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1. It says, a wise woman then builds up her house. You see, she's not tearing down her house by denigrating her husband. She's not tearing down her house by being argumentative, by being nagging. She's rather building up. 
You see, whatever she does in her household, she is edifying the people in her household. She's wise and she's, dis- she's disciplined. And you have this tremendous opportunity in the context of the family to bring glory to God by, by edifying one another. So, finding a wife is good and being faithful to your wife is also good. All right? Now we're going to turn to the guys. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 8 says, Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays... Wait a second. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from the nest. You see, the bird finds his security in the nest. But the bird that begins to stray, begins to venture out looking for greener grass... He is sure to be caught by the fowler. You see, the man is made to work and to provide. And after work, he needs to come home. Let me say that one more time. When a guy finishes work, he needs to come home. Men will ask you, let's go have a few beers after work, or let's go on some trip somewhere this weekend. Many men have taken their weekends and their evenings away to the neglect of their wife and their children and treated her as if she's a single mom, even though they are married. Now, there was a time in my life when I played a lot of golf, right? But I don't play as much golf these days. I don't take my weekends on the course. I don't have a Harley but there's nothing wrong with having a Harley. I, um, I think a man should work, and then he should be devoted to his family. What a man needs to do is he needs to take his wife out to dinner. What he needs to do is he needs to coach the Little League soccer team. What he needs to do is he needs to read the Bible to his kids, and he needs to tuck them into bed. You see, these are the things that contribute to the building up of one's family. You always get that which you invest into something. That's why it says in Proverbs chapter 5, 18, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Live your life as a married person with no regrets. Drink life to its fullest measure. Enjoy the fleeting moments of your life. There's joy in doing life together. Now, we used to have a house full of kids. We actually had to add on some space in order to make room for all these kids. Now we have an empty nest. Our house is too big, the two of us, but it's too small when they all come home. But we enjoy each other. And this is how we rejoice in the life we now live. At the end of the day, Debbie and I will almost always have a cup of hot tea, and then we'll have a cookie together. You say, you have a pretty exciting life, Pastor Arm. (laughs) Tea and cookies. And she will stretch out her feet on my lap and I'll rub her feet until she falls asleep. That's how just about every day of our life finishes with the wife of my youth. Now we have 36 years in the books. And we've established some boundaries within our marriage and outside of our marriage. And if you want your marriage to last, you've got to put up some boundaries, you see. And raising children is good. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train a child in the way 
they should go. Train up a child in the way they should go. You see, there's a way that's pleasing unto the Lord, the way of wisdom. A child will not know intuitively the way to go. There's foolishness in the heart of a child. But it's the parent who trains up the child in the way they should go. And every child has a bent. They have an interest, if you will. Some children are athletic, and some are scholastic, and some are musical. And so we begin to discern the interests and the passion of the child, and we begin to work with their strengths in the way they should go. Don't bribe your children. Don't threaten your children. What they need is loving discipline. You ever been in a a place where a mother says to her daughter, Sally, you need to eat your vegetables. And she says, I don't eat vegetables. And she says, if you don't eat your vegetables, you won't get dessert. And she throws a fit and she gets dessert. You see, the problem is that many parents are afraid to do what is best for their children. They're afraid that their children won't love them. They're afraid that their children will turn against them. Your primary concern as a parent is not whether they like you in this moment, but whether they will love you 20 years from now. You have to take the long view to bring discipline to your children. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. God gives to children a blank slate for a mind, and parents fill that mind with godly knowledge and wisdom and give them instruction. And when they are older, they will um, not depart from it. What it's giving to us now is how life works. This is how life usually works. That if you invest in your children when they're young, training them up, right? Giving them discipline. If you love your children, you'll discipline them. If you give them what they need, they will develop internal structure. The reason why we give them external structure is that children will develop internal structure. They will know right from wrong, you see. This requires much repetition and follow-up, reinforcing the positive and correcting the negative and staying on the task of training up the next generation. Finally, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope, and do not be a willing party to his death. It's said here, discipline your child while there is hope. But another translation of this may be, discipline your child because there is hope. Because there is hope for a change, you see. The reason why we discipline is because we love. God loves those whom he disciplines. You see, being a disciple is closely related to discipline. If a person is ever going to be a disciple, they're going to need to have discipline in their life. Now, we're never to spank our children when we're angry. Discipline isn't about us getting our stress out. Discipline is helping the person understand what they did wrong. When uh, my kids were little, 
those little things with the ball on it and the little rubber band. We used to take the ball and rubber band off and use them for paddles. And I would say, you need a spanking. And we would go into a private place, and there I would spank their little bottoms. And the reason I would do that was I loved my children, see? And you know what they do now that they're parents? They get those little paddles, and they take off the staple with a little ball, and they say to their children, you need a spanking. You need to start when children are young, because there's going to come a day when they're going to be too old to spank. You know, in America, we're seeing some really tragic things happen. We're seeing shootings in our schools. We're seeing now the heroin epidemic. You know, everybody's going to have a choice to make whether they're going to shoot up heroin, right? We're seeing now 140 people every day dying in America. And we have this huge crisis. Dealers are adding fentanyl to heroin, and it is lethal. Fentanyl is now 100 times as strong as heroin. We have the school shootings. We have heroin. And we have the massive disrespect of this generation toward authority. The disrespect comes in the form of verbal abuse, condescending remarks, blatant refusal to carry out simple requests and looks. The question is, what are we going to do about this generation? The Scripture says, discipline your child while there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. It couldn't be any clearer that if a child learns to respect authority at home, they'll learn to accept authority outside of the home to their teacher and to their police officer. But if they do not learn to accept authority from their parents, their pathway ahead, their trajectory is not good. And this nation is in great peril. It is good to find a good wife. And it's good to be a faithful husband. And it's good to bring discipline to your family, to your children, especially when they need it. Would you pray with me? Father, as we've taken on these very controversial topics inside the book of Proverbs, I pray that our hearts would lean into your heart, that we, God, would want to become wise, not in our own eyes, but the wisdom that you would give to us, the wisdom that has guided generations that have gone before us, and a wisdom that seems in this generation to be up for grabs. Would you give us the humility, Lord, to understand that your plan includes a covenant within which we stay? It includes for us to be intentional in the raising of our children and bringing discipline wherein it's necessary. We pray, Lord, for the healing of our homes and where there is division and strife, where there's disagreement. I pray that you would give us the humility to listen to each other well, to sit down to the table, to make our confession. 
for us, Lord, to ask forgiveness, for us to move toward each other versus apart from each other. For those marriages that are very, very, very troubled, I pray, Lord, for the intervention of the Holy Spirit, that they would cry out for help, that there would be someone who would come alongside and show them the pathway to peace, for you desire for us to be at peace with each other. God, heal our land, heal our families, bring unity out of division, bring peace out of discord. Father, show us how to live. For this is our prayer, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus.